It's like a great high, right? First time. How'd you know? Just a hunch. The facts don't add up. I hooked her in! And nothing is what it seems. What took you so long? I just want you to see that she's come back from the dead. Ditch Brody's life is on the line. You have five seconds. One! You gotta be kidding me! Two! Four! What happened to three? And his only choice is to take the fall. Charlie Sheen, Nastasha Kinski, Terminal Velocity, rated PG-13, starts Friday, September 23rd. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, other guy, how are you? Ah, I've broken both of my legs and I'm just hobbling around being ever so cute and quirky and I want you to feel for me so yeah, much. Yeah, one, so. one of your legs broke and I've only got three. Yeah, I've only... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. What you're, a compliment. You're welcome, other guy. As a, as a Polish podcast, we are the, we're the Polish podcast. Did you know that we are in the top 10 Polish podcasts? That's not a joke, by the way. We got an official email saying that we were in the top 10 Polish podcasts because we are always spitting and we both happen to be Polish. And we're the only Polish podcast that talks about movies. Isn't that correct, Bartek? Yeah, it's weird. But for some reason, we've never done a Polish one. I don't even know if we will ever. Hey, 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 excuse me. I watched the film They Call Me Bruce, and that had some Polish <laughs> the, ninjas the po- in it. So I think was that ninjas counts. or gangsters? They were ninjas. ninjas. They were samurais, to be correct. Yeah. Well, so that's different then. That is different, <laughs> but you got the general ballpark of I what think, I was I saying. Think, I think that film uh, was very uh, clear on everything. It was such a warm film, that one. Didn't it have a sequel? Yes, they call me Bruce again, and we haven't watched it. It's no, they call me Trinity, which is what it's referencing, but... And we've watched that one. We have watched that, and we've watched many movies on this podcast, and today we are joined by some guests we haven't had in a little while. I've been trying to wrangle them here onto the show. What's the last thing we had them on What's the last thing? Maybe we'll find out. We'll pass it over to our friends, the Contrarians. Julio and Alex are here. Hello, fellas. Hello. Greetings. Was it Soldier? Uh, was it Soldier? Was it Soldier? I don't know, actually. I thought you were here <laughs> earlier, but than that. <laughs> I mean, later than that. Yeah. It's a great question. Audience, you tell us. Fun fact. Was it Idiot Box? That was a fun fun, one. Idiot Box. Yes. It was correct. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. it correct. It was Idiot Box. Fun fact. The composer for Soldier is the same composer of the music for the film we'll be discuss- discussing today. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. David Neely is back again, and he's done quite a lot, but we'll talk about the production in a second. Contrarians, tell us a bit about yourselves, your podcast, what you guys do. Well, uh, I mean, you, you've said it. We've been here f- a few times, so uh, we'll just give you the, the short version. Uh, we talk about movies. We focus on movies that are either really fresh on the Rotten Tomatoes website or really rotten. And uh, we do our episodes in two parts. On the first part, we argue against their Rotten Tomatoes uh, score. So if it's really fresh, we talk about the movie as if it was really bad. And if it's really rotten, we talk about it as if it was really good. Um, Then on the second part of the show, we tell you how we really feel. So we we talk about a lot of movies that are very appreciated by, by film Twitter and film connoisseurs all over the world. And then we also talk about movies that are pretty much reviled. And then there are movies that are kind of like in between. And every now and then we'll cover one of those. But... Uh, for those movies, usually we, we try to pick our spots whenever we do uh, guest appearances on other shows, such as this one. So I, I haven't even checked 
uh, what the Rotten Tomatoes website is for the movie we're going to be talking about. But that 19%. was... 19%. I'm always happy to... How low? 19%. God. <laughs> okay. I, I, I thought it would be more like in the middle. <laughs> I, I did too, actually. I didn't look up any of the reviews now that I think of it. I only go to IMDb. I don't know anyone really in real life who uses rotten tomatoes as an Oh, uh, you know as, two people that do. <laughs> no, not in real life. I know these two guys that rage against the rotten tomatoes machine, but I don't Yeah, know who are, who are they? Was it our friend Chats? I, I was going to make that exact joke. Episode? I was going to make that exact joke, but that then uh, you do it. That's our battle cry. But yeah, 19% of rotten tomatoes, 22% audience score, the critics consensus. More of a string of formulatic uh, more of a string of formulaic set pieces than an actual action thriller. Terminal Velocity ends up going nowhere fast. Oh, we are talking about now. the film Terminal Velocity, by the way, everyone. <laughs> a 90s film starring Charlie Sheen and Alex, the man who was just telling us all of the facts, was telling us about the reviews, but I he you was saying... the one that gave us the film. I thought you were saying that it stars Charlie Sheen and Alex. And, uh, and... <laughs> Well, there's no there's no evidence to say that he isn't in the movie, that True. Alex isn't in the film. Did you see did you see was that he, was three the, legged dog at the end? Was that he could the, have been Alex. Was he the guy at the diner? He was the guy at the diner, that lucky character. But uh, Alex, you recommended Terminal Velocity for the podcast. You just gave a, a Rotten Tomatoes description of it. But for everyone listening out there, how would you describe uh, a terminal velocity. If someone came up to you on the street, pulled at your shirt, and said, "Daddy Alex, what's terminal velocity about?" What would you say? Uh, it's. I mean, it's a reminder of what movies used to be in terms of like practical effects and just you know the having fun and whatnot. But in 2023, if someone asked me what this was, I'd say it's insane to watch through modern lenses because it's uh, it's an interesting piece uh, timestamp because it's on kind of the decline of the Charlie Sheen experiment but we also have freaking Natasha Kinski in here and then on top of that you have a bleach blonde Christopher McDonald who's playing a bad guy uh, from <laughs> Russia and James Gandolfini who's like a double agent and it's um, made all the more fascinating that an American Charlie Sheen here Ditch Brody is his name is playing a character yeah. of like the uh, the innocent guy who gets caught up in a scheme and in the process ends up helping out Russia to make sure their <laughs> government is not overthrown and in the end is you know spoiler alert but in the end is awarded and um, revered by Russia for being the American that helped them. It's um, is the Steven Seagal before Steven Seagal? Exactly. It's just a really. It's a perfect encapsulation of i'm not even gonna say you know the mid to late 90s it's that really wild early 90s action movie with some really really fun set pieces and whatnot that uh by modern lenses what i just read would be construed as oh this is so formulaic but man it's a, it's a hell of a ride to watch through 2020 glasses or 2023 glasses excuse me well, that's okay. I'll put away my 2020 glasses, and they're down on the ground. It's almost 1994, right? Yes. We were one years old. We were one years old, and Charlie Sheen was how old? <laughs> Guess what? He said They say in the movie that his character is 31 years old, but the trivia says that he was two years younger than his character. In and the film, I haven't yeah. checked if that's true, but I cannot believe 
for a single moment that Charlie Sheen in this film is is younger than us right now. Like he's he's well, supposed the- to be like twenty eight, twenty nine in real life. Yeah, That's the, the, insane. The film- he looks thirty. In the, Eight years old. In the film, they said that in 1980, he would have been like 16, 17. So Crazy. he would have been born mid-60s. But um, if this film is 94, then he'd be approaching 30. They say literally in the film, the 31-year-old die- is skydiving man, blah. But they, but either way, uh, listening people, if you have not seen Terminal Velocity, it is out there. It is available to watch. Here in Australia, it was on Disney Plus because... We don't have all of the abundance of streaming services, so we get a lot of things on the minimal ones we use that maybe other countries don't get. But uh, like, we get a lot of Hulu stuff on Disney Plus. Like, I can watch uh, Pam and Tommy right now on Disney Plus if I wanted to, which is insane to say. (laughs) But uh, I can, and Terminal Velocity was there. I think the Disney Plus description of it was just one sentence. It was like. A, a skydiver, a skydiving instructor, falls in love with one of his clients, and that was it. He falls, uh, he he falls far for a client. <laughs> oh, is what it says. okay. And then so the picture more... is of him flying through the sky trying to catch her. But he's falling with style. He's falling with style. But if you have not seen Terminal Velocity, recommend that you give it a watch for yourself. It is, as Alex said, that nineties action machismo schlocky fun. Go ahead and give it a watch. Now, Bartek, did you have any familiarity with Terminal Velocity when when I said to you, I've been spending a couple of months now trying to get Alex to decide a film to cover on this podcast because it's Alex's time to recommend one. And, uh, and I turned around and said, finally, he recommended Terminal Velocity. Did you have any thoughts on that? Um, my only thought was that I was taking sneaky peekies at these Twitter messages and I saw like the three films that he was tossing up. And I remember one of them being Terminal Velocity. So when that was picked, I'm like, oh, okay, I remember. That was one of the ones listed. Other than that, yeah, I really didn't know anything about it. I think at the end of our last episode that we did with the uh, chats, uh, one of our guests, uh, Alan, like started saying something about like a plane and we were both like, no, 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 don't tell us. With great excitement, <laughs> we were told, oh my God, that has some great like plane action. I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I thought this was going to be a Schindler's List movie. Shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. You did say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I have no familiarity with this film. I know a lot of the actors. I know a lot of the people in the behind the scenes of it as well in the production, but I've never heard of this movie. I've never seen this movie. There was no segment or image from it where I leaned back and went, oh, that's where this is from. I had no clue what to expect. Uh, I guessed that it had something to do with planes because of the title. And I thought, is this going to be similar to, say, The Fugitive or Air Force One? The Terminal. Or, no, I didn't think it was going to be The Terminal. <laughs> but uh, I, I was wondering if it was going to be our lead action man is running from the authority or, or from figures and it has to involve planes and stuff. And in a roundabout way, it does involve that, but it's going far more for a, 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 a almost homage, throwback feel to those, to those Laura, like a, a Bogin Bacall type uh, dramas that they used to do, where here is this sexy couple who have that snappy dialogue, and they're involved in some big conspiracy that's elaborate. And I was, uh, I was a bit tickled by that, but uh, Julio. Were you familiar with Terminal Velocity? Were you thrilled? Were you pumped to finally talk about it? What's your history with the film? Funnily enough, I was. I, I mean, I'm 
I'm very happy that none of you knew what you were getting into. I, I It's not that I did, but I had at least seen the trailer a long time ago. It must have been when it came out, uh, because I remember just being puzzled by the existence of this Charlie Sheen vehicle that also starred the actress from Paris, Texas. That, that was a long time ago. I mean, I had seen Paris, Texas. So it must have been back when I was in film school. And I just remember the trailer playing all the time on TV, or maybe it was on... Uh, you know, the, the uh, trailers on, on the VHSs, whenever you rent a VHS and there's trailers for the movie. Uh, so I just remember having seen the trailer several times and knowing it was just kind of like, it looked like a somewhat generic 90s action movie. But I was like, that that it didn't match, right? Because to me, Charlie Sheen was just, the, at that time, the epitome of just your kind of uh, standard action American actor, and I knew Natasha Kinski from Paris, Texas, and uh, Far Away So Close, like two uh, Vin Wenders movies, are, they were pretty artsy, and so it was, I remember at that time, my mind trying to reconcile that, I, I was thinking, okay, well, if I ever have the chance to watch that movie, I will, but I wasn't going to go out of my way to watch it, and that was decades ago, I guess. <laughs> And now we come to this, and uh, and there it is, and it's it's available for rental, and it's uh, suddenly I'm just taking care of this blind spot that I had almost forgotten about. So twenty nine so, years of hype, twenty nine years of hype for Julio, and it's not even hype because I don't know what I expected. I in my mind, honestly, I was expecting a movie that was gonna be so bad that it's not like it broke through Natashkinsky into the. American mainstream. You know what I mean? Like, in my mind, if this movie had been a success, and I guess based on <laughs> just the critics, it wasn't, but uh, she would have been in a lot more of those movies. But then when you say Natasha Kinski, you don't really think, oh, you know, somebody like, I don't know, you know, like Scarlett Johansson today or something, you know, like an actress that you see in a lot of American mainstream movies. You still think of her as kind of a, a European actress that's mostly in art house films whenever they make it to, the, to America. So, um, I always had it in my mind that it had been an unsuccessful experiment. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we're about to find out how we all feel about it, with, regardless yeah. of what the critics said. It's interesting that you said that about Charlie Sheen, because I always associate Charlie Sheen in this era as either trying to be the dramatic actor with something like Wall Street or being the the comedic like over-the-top version of your machismo man, whether it is in something like Hot Shots, for instance, in those movies where he's playing up being the Rambo type or, or whatever it is. While uh, Terminal Velocity is an interesting case where he, he he's both, where it's like he's both trying to be a comedic representation of these type of heroes, but also be one at the same time. It's it's a really delicate balancing act that he has in the film, and I can't wait to talk about it. But Alex, you're the one that was burdened with choosing a film for the podcast to come on with. I said, <laughs> Julio, it's Alex's turn. He never replies to me on Twitter. Could you please ask Alex what movie he wants? And it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, here's, oh, I can't decide. Oh, here are three movies movies what do you guys want and i'm like no alex you choose and then oh this one so alex please tell us a bit about your relationship with the film and, and why did you choose this yeah i don't really have much of a relationship but it was uh the, the movies julio and i discussed and put down on paper um any like action movie from the early 90s i'm gonna be interested in to begin with but then just reading over the cast and, you know, the intrigue of Charlie Sheen, like we said on, I mean, he wasn't 
buying McDoubles for dinner every night, but he was on the downside of his, <laughs> you know, star power, so to speak. And then Natasha Kinski's in it. And then you add in like James Gandolfini's the bad guy. It, and like the poster was enough for me to just be like, this is it. Cause it's got <laughs> Charlie Sheen pointing a gun, but also falling through the sky with Natasha Kinski and then terminal velocity and really stylized yellow letters. Um, so it was, I, and I read nothing about it. That's what I told Julio is like, I'm not going to do any research on this before I watch it because just the, what I see here at the surface level is so endlessly fascinating to me. This is why I'm picking it. Um, so you hadn't even seen it before. No. And I also, another thing that comes with that is for the, all the jokes and everything. And, um, what we'll talk about as we move along here, I don't really have, like when I think of Charlie Sheen, besides, you know, the just dork winning image he made for himself, you know, quote winning a few years back. I don't like <laughs> when I think of him, I think of Ferris Bueller, like his cameo in that. So I don't really. Yeah. I don't have much of a, you know, as you said, a relationship with Charlie Sheen as an actor. And so I think that's always interested me because he was a really big deal for a moment in time. But. I can't really speak to any of that. I mean, I've seen Wall Street, but so when the opportunity presented itself, I just thought it was what would work best for us because my thought was like, well, James Gandolfini's in it, so it cannot be like a waste of time. Like he'll do something in it that's cool. And then on top of that, if it's bad, we'll still have shit to talk about. And if it's good, it's a win for everybody. It's a winner. Winning. Yes. (laughs) Well, it's also uh, worth pointing out. We, we had just, I remember the time that this conversation started, like we had just finished recording, I think, uh, our Paris, Texas episode. So we were hoping that we could find a Natasha Kinski movie to do. That, yeah, that was it too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. yeah. And then on the filmography, that's how Terminal Velocity came up. It was like, oh, that's the one where she's with Charlie Sheen. So that seemed, and you guys like to do like kind of off the beaten path movies on your show. So that seemed like, you know, it wasn't going to be too uh, mainstream uh, it was still some, and I am so happy that neither of you had seen it because no, that's the best. No, no, so no knowledge. Is, so is she in the other two films that you were tossing up? No, uh, no. she was in uh, One Night Stand, which is the the one with Wesley Snipes uh, from the director of uh, uh, Oh God, what is Mike Figgis? Oh, Leaving Las Vegas, this was right. And uh, uh, I don't remember what was the other one. Now, the other one came out for a different reason. The other one the, was an Andy Griffith movie because. That's My wife, right. Rachel, had joined the Contrarians to talk about a movie yes. with him in it. But Julio mm-hmm. was like, well, I guess we're choosing ones with Rachel in mind as well, who's not a part of this podcast, but that's fine. <laughs> well, she is part of the extended Spin yeah, and Polish she's, family. she's the extended you know, family. La- last time she was on our podcast, we did do a James Gandolfini film. That is true. As and we... it's a movie that Alex loves. So, yeah, yeah see, everything yes, is connected. That's true. It is a, yes, it's a great contrast to this film <laughs> and his performance in it. So, uh, just to go back to Charlie Sheen for a second. So, he's our leading man. And Charlie Sheen, even if you're not deeply familiar with him, does have a reputation, does have an image, does have a persona that hovers over every work he has done. And we, Bartek and I, have grown up with Charlie Sheen's existence around Two and a Half Men. I remember him from Spin City, where he took over for Michael J. Fox. And so 
it's interesting to look at his film work and realize how how few things there are outside of the Hot Shots movies and Wall Street that I've actually really engaged with. I think of him as a as a TV presence in a lot of ways, and I think of his brother Emilio Estevez as the film actor out of the the two brothers, and of course Martin Sheen, their dad, is is the best actor in the family, but. Where he could do film, television, and even video games. Like he, he's a diverse actor, Martin Sheen. But Charlie is just this figure that, at one time, I felt was uh, like the embodiment of the type of people he would play, whilst also being satirical of those type of people. But as the years have gone on, there's no satire to be found with the real life actor. It's just, oh, that's what you are, okay. But when I look at Terminal Velocity. I was really struggling with a large amount of the runtime, figuring out Charlie Sheen and if he's good in this movie or not, and trying to remove all of his baggage that comes with him from the current era and even from back then, because I have found Charlie Sheen to be a charismatic performer in comedy, but in dra- dra- dramas, I find him really wooden and stiff and lifeless in a lot of ways. I just, I don't like him in Wall Street, honestly. I, I prefer everyone else in Wall Street. He's just a, a boring to me, but in this film, I didn't find him boring. At times, I found him charming, and I was just wanting the film to decide more if it is a comedic affair or if this is a, a wink homage to film styles from yesteryear, but it lived a little bit too much in the middle for my taste, and I and I hone it back to Charlie Sheen because he's kind of emblematic of what my issue is, where at times he totally nails the satirical comedic tone, and at other times it genuinely feels like they want him to be a Tom Cruise badass type, and I just I can't reconcile the two existing at the same time. Bartek, Charlie Sheen for you. Any thoughts on the man and his performance in the film? Um, yeah, I'm not. I wasn't really familiar with him growing up. I think eventually I saw some episodes of Two and a Half Men, and I was like, oh, okay, this Charlie guy. You know, he's kind of funny. Um, later found out like, oh yeah, he's from a family with like a dad who's a big actor, and he's got an older brother who's also an actor. Um, and just before we started recording, I was looking up what I've seen Emilio Estevez in, and I think it's just Breakfast Club. Um, which is weird because I feel like I've seen him in more. Um, Wild Guns. Pardon? Wild Guns. I think, isn't that his... uh, No, haven't seen it. Something Guns. Oh, yeah. I I looked at the filmography. I couldn't find anything else I'd seen. Bartek hasn't even seen seen Loaded Weapon, part one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then I remember year 12, uh, what we call senior year, uh, that was around the time uh, of the winning thing, which was a really big thing down here. for context, we in year twelve or senior year, we have to do a, a this kind of test in the middle of the year called the GAT. You do, yes. Yeah, I didn't. You, Ryan's from a different state. Here in Melbourne, we have to do a test called the GAT in the middle of year twelve, and it's a type of exam where it's not something that will necessarily go on your end of year report, but it is this kind. It's complicated to explain, but it's basically it, like it's if, bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit, sort of. It, it, it's like... Bartek's a teacher, so he has to defend the education system a little. I'm not, so I'll tell you. No, well, no, no, it's, it's not that. It's because I did kind of well on mine, so I'm like, oh, oh well, it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be good because I nailed it. it. It's a test that doesn't really matter, but it's like, oh, if you somehow miss your exams at the end of the year, they can at least look at that and like have that Extrapolate, as... Extrapolate, yeah. Yeah, as a sort of safety rope. 
Um, and it was a test where it's just testing your ability to like write essays and stuff like that. And around the time when uh, I was doing it, the year before, there was a campaign going on social media for a. Uh, uh, hey, every year 12, uh, when you do the GAT, make a reference to this like pop culture meme that's of the year. I can't remember what it was for that 2010 year, but for my 2011 year, they started again, and it was a campaign to reference the, I don't know if you remember, this is the Rebecca Black song Friday, which was oh, yeah. really viral at the time. How could you forget? Yep. She's, she's now a really, really <laughs> interesting singer nowadays. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, and so most people ended up doing that, but there were a couple of people who didn't like that idea and they instead tried to throw in a reference to Charlie Sheen's winning ah, thing, right. um, which was also big at the time. Um, and yeah, just from there, it was mostly just hearing about him in the news, like, you know, troubles on the production of Two and a Half Men, he got kicked mm. off. He's like the real life quagmire yeah, from Family the, Guy. The Charlie Sheen effect, like when he revealed that he was HIV positive and it <sighs> increased, like, you know, people getting tests, things like that. So it was mostly, yeah, hearing about his sort of escapades in 21st century. Oh, treating Denise Richards like a piece of shit, that's another thing I yeah, remember. Yeah, a lot of ups and downs. There was uh, a lot of downs during the winning thing. He was dating. I think her name was Brie Olson, the porn star he was dating at the time. And the main thing I remember from that was on the SNL, the weekend update, Seth Meyers said uh, it was something to the effect of a proud week for most uh, parents of porn stars and talking about like, you know, going out and seeing your neighbor be like, oh, hey, Chuck, uh, that Charlie Sheen is your kit. No. That's not my kid. <laughs> wow. I also remember his uh, ALS ice bucket challenge video was him pouring money on himself. Like, yeah, I'm not pouring water on myself. I'm God. giving this money to charity or something what like that. Dickhead. And that's what I mean. Like, yep. he, he, he's, a, he's a real life version of his characters where they're despicable, but also, is it funny? I don't know. But mm. uh, Alex... You went into this pretty blind. You wanted a bit of uh, 90s action, schlock, sl- sleazy fun. And uh, tell us, did you did you enjoy Terminal Velocity? Was I satiated? Uh, yes, I was. But before we get there, um, <laughs> I, I, in this Charlie Sheen discussion, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring this up, but it's important to bring up. His, like, kind of return to form. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with the movie Money Talks. It was Brett Ratner's first film. Uh, as a director, no. and it was um, it was the pretense. To- Chris Tucker, right? Yeah, it was it was basically what came before the Rush Hour trilogy, and it's Chris Tucker getting top billing over Charlie Sheen. And at this point, you know, uh, Tucker would have been coming off of Friday, but that movie made like fifty million dollars, and was kind of people thought at the time maybe you know there's a little le- gas left in the tank with Charlie Sheen. Um, it's pretty funny. I I, I half heartedly recommend it if you ever get the time, but. Um, <laughs> For the you know the subject at hand here, terminal velocity, um, it's fun. It doesn't overstay its welcome, which is always really important and something to keep in mind when talking about movies like this. It delivers on the goods, and by the goods, I mean ridiculous action sequences, especially the conclusion. Um, there's the novelty of <laughs> Shooter McGavin bleaching his hair like Cody Rhodes on screen, and. Uh, <laughs> What else you got in this? It, all the stuff that makes no sense until like the you know the third act of the movie. That's such like you know you don't see that as much anymore. Of you just uh, 
uh, movies don't really trust or just expect people to go along with the ride. You kind of have to spoon feed them a lot more these days. And so just the idea of like uh, when they're writing the script, yeah, we'll do this and then we'll just figure it all out in the end. It's kind of what it felt like. And um, some good chase sequences. I'm trying not to oversell it, but the final like action sequence is awesome. It's uh, if you've ever played GTA four, there's a lot of similarities to one of the missions in that or the, um, uh, Uncharted games have something similar too. And, yep. And it's the Uncharted movie as well. <laughs> yeah, which took that like beat for beat from the the game. But I mean, the biggest, uh, the the most resounding endorsement I can give it is Shooter McGavin falls out of a plane to his death and still is shooting a gun back at you know Charlie Sheen. <laughs> no. Um, and, and you know the acting and the chemistry between Charlie Sheen and Natasha Kinski is not. You know, existent. Uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I was going to make the joke Academy Award, and then I was going to correct myself to Golden Globe level. But it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you know exactly if if you've seen a movie before in your life, about 10 minutes into this, you know exactly what to expect for the duration of it. Uh, yes. With the exception of James Gandolfini, who gives like, you know, whirlwind performance is a bit dramatic, but for what happens in this movie, he shows up as like a nerdy DA and ends up being like this <laughs> Russian insurgent. Oh, I, didn't believe, I didn't believe that for a fucking second, by the uh, way. As soon as he came in, I went, oh, you're the bad guy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, yeah. You, you're going to trick it's like, me. It's Tony Soprano. He like Tony <laughs> Soprano at the end of the fucking movie. Like literally he's wearing like those t-shirts, Tony. He's smoking cigars. Like he literally becomes Tony at the end of the movie. Uh, he's crazy. He's, he's nuts. Yeah, uh, yeah, but see, you don't have to buy him as a nerdy guy. You just have to believe that Charlie Sheen buys him as a nerdy guy, which I, and I did. That's, yeah, that's part of what makes <laughs> it funny is just the way he. You're exactly right. You know, it's like, and I just watched the drop over the uh, the week, and it was you know how big of a hardened badass he is in that, and here. Oh, these allergies! This dust is kicking my ass, and he's using like the the visine, and you know, so yeah, exactly. You're right. I was like, well, he's gonna do some shit, and when he, a little comrade, I was just like, fuck yes, let's go, Tony, and uh, you know, him we, at the. We, we, we'll get to we'll get a little bit more to Gandolfini because I popped when I saw his name in the credits. I was like, hey, James Gandolfini, yay! Mm. Can't uh, wait. But, and he, and he yeah, basically just, looks the same. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but to put a pin on it, you're right. Yeah, this this provided my lust for dumb '90s action with practical effects, and you know, just the ridiculous uh, innocent guy getting caught up in you know something much bigger than him. Without, because I mean, we could be here all day talking about movies that just are painful to watch that are similar to this. It was fast paced and it moved and it was fun and it was you could point and laugh at it but also have fun with some of the crazy stuff that was happening. Yeah. Uh Bartek, what did you think of Terminal Velocity? Um, I did think it was formulaic, but it followed the formula well. You know, it was perfectly engaging throughout. There were some fun moments. Um but yeah, fair fairly plain movie that It did have a plane. It did have it had many planes. In fact, <laughs> it, it was it very much wore its uh, you know interest in planes on its sleeve. Like in aviation, you, you got many planes in the film. You get the inside of planes, both like 
passenger planes and little biplanes. Helicopters. Helicopters. Um, the, the the big plane at the end where the cars mm-hmm. in the plane. Carrier jet. Mm. Carrier jet. Yeah, it it <laughs> it definitely promised uh you know high in the sky action and delivered on that action so pretty successful in in its goal so you you appreciated how it even though it was formulaic you appreciated how it stuck to its guns with that but with that little bit of a twist of it's so interested in planes because i think nowadays it's it's like the only franchise I can think of that's interested in like a vehicle in action is the Fast and Furious. So it's like we're interested in mm. vehicles. We're interested in the world that people live with that because when you say planes and stuff, it's like, oh, is he a pilot? No, not really. It's more about he's a guy that jumps out of planes and dives and is stuntman. And then he has a whole community of people around that. The guy who fixes up his stuff or yeah. the guy who video records this or his boss or the girl with the broken you legs. scenes and- with parachutes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, all of that is happening. Huh, she's actually a great skydiver. That bitch. <laughs> but uh, Julio, uh, what were your thoughts overall on Terminal Velocity? Uh, I had a, a great time. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, like I said, I expected this to be uh, sort of an underwhelming 90s vehicle, and I thought I was basically going to be laughing at it. And it's like, oh, there's Charlie Sheen just grasping at stardom one more year. And here's Natasha Kinski trying to <laughs> tries to be in just your standard American thriller and, and just finding herself completely out of her depth. But it wasn't that. It was, it's just, I'm going to throw this, I'm going to throw out a, a big word at you guys. And I, I do mean it. It was somewhat Hitchcockian, I think. Yes, I know. The I, I, well, there was one scene in particular. Yes, I, I completely <laughs> agree with you with that. Yes. Just that idea of like, here's this guy and he gets played by this w- beautiful woman and then he finds himself kind of trying to untangle the mystery and then he eventually meets her. Turns out that she had faked out her death in the most ridiculous possible way. But you go with it because you're having fun with yes, the story. Yes, it's, it's vertigo. Then, yeah. Well, then, you know, they team up and then they, they, they solve the mystery together, they arrive. I mean, the the thing that uh, didn't work for me, uh, the only reason that I'm not even like more hardcore uh, recommending it would be just that I, I you know, like I said, I, I don't know if it's that they don't have chemistry or it's just that it doesn't make sense for their characters to be attracted to each other so so quickly. Uh, I, I enjoy the movie a lot more when it's just her manipulating him. And then the moment that there is a hint that they might have actual feelings toward each other. I'm like, ah, oh, come on. I mean, you don't need it. It's a lot more fun if this is, there's this horn dog that's going after her because he thinks that she's gorgeous and this really smart ex-spy that is playing on that. You know, she, she knows that this is a guy that not only is he talented enough to help her with her mission, but also he's very easy to manipulate because he's a dumb guy that's just, you know, going to do whatever she asks. So that dynamic is a lot more uh, exciting and fun for me than the, oh, but they're slowly having feelings for each other ah no that's that doesn't work for me and in a (laughs) movie like this you expect that's what what it's going to be it's oh yes they're going to get together yeah i mean that's to your point she's like this badass lady and it's about her opening up her heart to charlie sheen Mm. and i'm like oh fuck off (laughs) (laughs) fuck you a sort of recurring complaint i have he doesn't need to grow to get her she needs to grow to get him (laughs) fuck off (laughs) piss off (laughs) 
Yeah, a, a sort of dick. a sort of recurring complaint I have whenever we do a film that I watch on streaming services is me like shitting on the description and the one it's like you know oh a skydiving instructor falls hard for you know a lady yeah. a lady it was like oh okay so that's what the film's about so and it is yeah and I remember you you guys mentioned before like when James Gandolfini is introduced. And, you know, for most of us, it was a case of like, oh, well, you're clearly acting, you're clearly a villain. For me, I kind of had this, you know, desire of like, oh, I will buddy film with this guy, but I know it's not going to happen because he falls hard for his students or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You wanted a buddy, you wanted Midnight Run, but with James Gandolfini and Charlie Sheen. By the way, I thought when Alex recommended this, I got this mixed up with another film of Charlie Sheen's called The Chase, which is also a film where That's, Charlie um, Sheen plays a dumbass. Christy Swanson? Yes, where he plays a dumbass guy and a sexy blonde lady and they're travelling across the country. I won't get into too much of the plot of that because it actually has an interesting conceit for a film. It's not a good film, but it has an interesting conceit for a film. One that, you know, in this age where we remake shit, mm-hmm. that's a movie you could remake. That's what I'm saying. That's a movie you could do better. The Chase. That's all I'm saying. But my opinions on the movie overall are very different to everyone else's here. I had a miserable time. I hated every second of this. Alex said something that was so key to me, but it's so true. But I'm on the opposite side, which is they don't make films like this anymore. And I remarked in my notes when I finished is, I'm glad they don't make films like this anymore. Because my biggest complaint is, well... I have many big complaints, so I won't lie and say this is my biggest, but it was a prevalent one, which is I felt really disheartened at all of this amazing talent, these amazing actors, these amazing people behind the scenes being utterly wasted, just utterly wasted. I just was watching them pick up a check. Charlie Sheen is enthusiastic. This is one of his favorite movies he's ever worked on, and I, I don't have any problem with like his enthusiasm, but... I was looking at these these brilliant actors and just saying, wow, this is in... They, they spent months making this. James Gandolfini spent months of his life working on this. I'm glad, like, they've all gone on to do better and bigger projects, but, like, I was so saddened looking at this film and having all of these wonderful character actors and dramatic actors and funny people... In this, I got a big laugh out of when we go to Charlie Sheen's workplace and that girl comes in on the crutches with the broken legs. I'm like, oh, and I just rolled my eyes and said, give me a fucking break. (laughs) Because I looked at that and said, oh, yeah, you're going to make me really feel for Charlie and his friends. Like, oh, look, one of his co-workers has broken legs. Don't you feel for her? I'm like, fuck it. She's tiny Tim with the crutches. Like, leave me alone. I hate that so much. But I was miserable. I didn't like it. The action sequences I found to be boring, and I got a good laugh when uh, we were talking about all the practicality, and all I thought was blue screen, blue screen, blue screen. Every time we talk about practicality, I think of all the blue screen shots or green screen shots. And They really went up on a plane, Ryan, and they jumped out of it. Yeah, the compositing. Hold on. There is the horrendous blue screen, green screen, whatever color you want to use at the end where he's standing in front of like the Russian military and, yeah. you know, his hair is not even properly cropped into the shot. <laughs> but no, I didn't enjoy this. Um, I had some campy fun values, but I um, here's a thing, too, that I found really difficult to 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 grasp with it that's the thing it's a lot of it is like i can see how this would work but i found it pretty lifeless 
is I enjoyed the more Hitchcockian mystery element of it more than the now we're versing Russians and we're having a shootout in a, a factory. I enjoyed the Charlie Sheen stumbling across something bigger than him and how does this involve yeah, him? Yeah, when it was and a conspiracy kind of film at the beginning. I much more enjoyed that than the car flying out into the sky and people shooting guns screaming, Get you, ditch! And, and t- Tony <laughs> Soprano being launched into... <laughs> we'll get into Tony's adventures, but... I, Did you I, at least I, laugh when the, the woman fell out of the plane and they show her bouncing? I was like, that was so unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> what about when the guy's like, I saw her bounce, man? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I, the, I guy, the, the you know the one black character in the movie is now traumatized because he saw a woman fall out of a plane. We have two was... black characters, thank you. Yeah, the, the pilot is also black. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ben Peebles, come on, Peebles but himself. The, but it's so funny to show like you know the the younger black dude who saw her die. Because he was joking about, you know, sex and, you know, the, the levity of it all. And then he's changed. He's learned something <laughs> yeah, now that, that he like, watched this woman sh- die. That was straight out of Garth Marenghi's dark place. When, <laughs> when there's that scene, I thought this was comedic brilliance, but clearly it wasn't supposed to be funny. When he walked up to Charlie Sheen, stood on his mark and said, we used to joke about this, didn't we? And he's whispering. <laughs> I don't think we're going to joke anymore. <laughs> what happened, man? You know what that performance reminds me of? Spider-Man 1, Sam Raimi, the teacher that comes in and says to, to, to James Franco, like, how about we have a chat? About, like this really, about listening or something? Yeah, how about we have a chat about listening? Like this really intense teacher. <laughs> it reminded me of him so much. That was one of the funniest scenes is when they really sincerely tried to make it dramatic where we used to joke about this. I don't think we'll be joking anymore. <laughs> this is the payoff for what we introduced earlier. <laughs> but see, that kind of thing, it just kind of, I think it works in that framework of the of the 90s, of the, in quotation marks, like generic 90s action thriller. <laughs> That's exactly I what I was I wish there was more of it, though. That's the thing. I, I To me, it sits too much in the middle where it is more lifeless than that type of silliness that I want more of. I just... There's, I want more James Gandolfini as the stumbling nerdy guy. I yeah. want more of his goofy co-workers and really play up the hand. But instead, a lot of it is scenes of Charlie Sheen pouting to the camera, trying to look like a pretty boy and being like, just tell me the plot. Just tell me the plot. And I'm waiting like 90 minutes for them to give me the boring exposition. Oh, here's the boring exposition. Instead of Nazi gold, it's Soviet gold. Ooh. But he used to be a gymnast, Ryan. That's, that's and it comes story. into play when? <laughs> oh, man. You, you want to talk about practicality and all that stuff I do enjoy. That Photoshop of him on the cover. I don't even know what you would have called it at the time. But the cover of Sports Illustrated, where it basically just looked like they cut his head off of a newspaper article. <laughs> and paste it like <laughs> used a glue stick to paste it over some gymnast body. Yeah, and it's oh, look at that haircut though. Ah, that poor haircut, that bad haircut he has. That's, he's so embarrassed about that haircut. You can keep the photo. I have copies. I, I, I loved you? it because that was uh, it, it was it, that tied in so many things together. Like the fact that I can buy him in the, in the action scenes because it already gave me that little bit of like, oh, he, you know, he used to be a gymnast, so that means that he's more athletic than the average guy. So when he actually gets into fights and, and does okay. I'm like, okay, I can buy that. And then he had that recurring thing with like, well, I was hoping for Russian gold. And then first he runs into actual Russian gold. And I was like, that oh, is man. amazing that that's how they paid off. But then at the end, he gets a Russian medal. Yeah. And and it, see, <laughs> Beautiful. it's cold. 
It's called thematic resonance. This movie has themes, motifs, images, heck, even allegories. My, I, I really loved when she had that explosive fit in the bar. And it was her screaming about, like, they'll take over and there'll be war and missiles will hit you and you don't care unless it happens to you, you fuck. And then she quietens down and goes, and my family's at risk. It's like, <laughs> oh, sure. That, sure what that was would the they always be at risk? I'm sure that was at risk. That was the best original screenplay scene, too. But I, I love the idea of that happening and all the patrons at that place are like, what the hell is she talking about? Yeah, but they actually okay. show you. Like, after she storms off, Johnny Shane looks around and everybody's looking at him. So they, and then they, he's well, like, no, he let says, me guess, I'm the asshole oh, or whatever he says. I'm the bad says. guy. Yeah, yeah. And the bad guy's like, uh, no, you can explain yourself, but don't bother. I, okay, I've got probably the most controversial take here, but I'll lead up to it a bit. Because we've said the actress's name, but really haven't given a lot of context, especially for someone like Bartek who hasn't seen her work before. So our lead actress is, how do you pronounce her name? Natasha Kinski. She's uh, she's like Polish-German. So mm. she is an actress that is from Germany, does a lot of German films, and came over to America eventually with a German filmmaker in part who directed many films, the most prevalent being Paris, Texas, which... We actually had to study in film class as well. I don't know if you remember that, Bartek, or if you were in that class, but it's probably Harry Dean Stanton's most well-known role and probably his best role. It's a it's a slow burn character piece, and she's she plays his uh, long-lost wife in it. That's a, kind of an easy way to go about it. And we don't see her for most of the movie until the very end, and she gives a powerhouse performance. It's, it's, it's Harry Dean Stanton's movie, but then she enters the film and makes it her movie. She gives this fantastic monologue. If you want to see some of the greatest dramatic acting of that time, you watch that scene. She's she's gorgeous in it. She's very attractive, but she's also very emotive and emotional. And I've only seen her in Paris, Texas. So my frame of reference for her is this beautiful woman who's also great at playing haunted, broken, tragic characters. Somebody who's a really great dramatic star. So I was really thrown to see her in this movie where she's basically <laughs> playing, uh, you know, the sexy babe. But here's my controversial take. I don't think she does the sexy babe role really well because I don't think she's really that that sexy in the movie in terms of like what this role requires. Like she herself is a gorgeous person, but I didn't really get like what I'm going to say is if Heather Graham in Austin Powers 2 can do this better, then that's a real shame because that's a silly movie. Well, this is supposed to like her aspect of being the blonde bombshell is supposed to like drive so much of the movie. And a large part of it, I was just like, yeah, she's cute. Like she's cute. Her character is cute, but I didn't think she was like buying that. Charlie Sheen is attracted to her, or are you more? I'm, I'm having trouble buying her as the sexy femme fatale that would necessitate all of the plot being driven by us wanting to know her story. I didn't buy that. She's no Lauren Bacall. She just doesn't have that oomph factor. And I think a part of it is her background isn't playing characters like this. Her background is playing like real people better than this type of character, which is an archetype. 
I just didn't believe her. I didn't really find her someone who bowled me over in the way that a lot of these roles are supposed to. Like, I think this is an empty role. I think this is a thankless role. There are some people who can elevate these things and some who can't. And I just didn't really think she did it. And I, I think in part is because I don't buy her chemistry with Charlie Sheen either. So I, I just... All of the, 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 I made a joke in our chat where I, I put a picture of her in the harness gear and Charlie Sheen's like <laughs> giving a, oh boy, look at her butt. And I said, Alex chose this for the plot. But like, <laughs> I, even that, I don't find even the film wants to even be titillating. And a part of these films is that. So like, I don't mean to sound gross, but that is the DNA of these movies. Uh, these 90s action films is a, have that little bit of sleaze factor. And I found this film pretty sexless, honestly. The I, opening see, scene I mean, I of her... Saying, but the I, opening... I don't know that that's a bad thing. Like, I was actually relieved that we were not treated to a Charlie Sheen, Natasha Kinski sex scene when they were drinking No, together. I don't want a sex scene. I'm saying, like, it just... Outside of that opening with her, her roommate, her flatmate that got killed... I found it pretty dry, like, in terms of, the, like, that opening, I was like, oh, okay, this is, like, a fun, sexy, dangerous character. Oh, she got murdered? Okay, well, I'm sure her, her other, like, the actual one is going to be even more, like, elaborate or whatever. And, no, I just found her kind of vanilla overall. I, I, like, what do you think? I do see what you're saying. This is the type of film where you would think that, like, oh, the, the foreign spy lady and, like, sexualized, like, kind of like, you know, Eva, Metal Gear Solid 3 kind of thing, but I honestly don't really think the film was going for that, despite the fact that it feels like it should. Because most of Charlie's lines of dialogue is like, what have I gotten myself into? And then you'll look at her body and be like, oh, that's what I got myself I do, into. I do, and I'm like, <laughs> I do remember yeah. her, her introduction to him was like, you know, your favourite character, the tiny Tim lady. Um, <laughs> the tiny Tim lady. <laughs> at the end, did you know she had two broken arms? Oh, boy. Just <laughs> like the third we'll time you've there, lost man. at this recording. Oh, What's man. It? It's ditch uh, Brody. We'll get there, Mr. Brody. Sure we will. Sure we will. (laughs) (laughs) Pats on the head. (laughs) But yeah, her introduction was like, oh, I've got this person that wants a lesson. It's like, oh, well, tell her to go away. And then she sees her and it's like, oh, actually, I'm gonna, you know, so it's like he's got the attraction to her. And I think that's really all the film was going for. It's just, and I think Julio even asked the question, like, did you buy that Charlie Sheen was attracted to her? And I think that's really all it was going for. Yeah, I... I understand that, but at the same time, this is one and the same with so many of this era and genre that managed to successfully do this part. And well, one of the expectations you were talking about before was like, oh, is this going to be like sort of tongue in cheek? It feels like if this film was a bit more like that, it would have leaned into you know the the sexualized thing a little bit more, so it'd be a bit funnier. And I don't mean to I, sound I don't know what gross you're or about. sexual. She, she was trained to swallow a lot of things, according to the dialogue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which that line was so out of place because the film didn't feel like it was so going for no, the not sexualized at all. Thing. No, not at all. And I don't mean to. I don't need this film to be sexual, and I don't want to sound misogynistic. But the real, the reality is, a lot of these action films with the guy and the girl. That is the truth. Is a lot of the reason that they exist is also to, is the, the the male fantasy, and a part of the male fantasy is the sexy lady who is around his arm at the end. And that's a part of my problem, too, is like, if they don't want to do that, then go the other way. But at the end, the story is about her having to open herself up and accept his love, and he doesn't really need to change. He just needs to keep being his affable dickhead self, and she has to 
warm up to his American charm. Like, I don't know. I, I, I well, just... he, he does get an arc, uh, Ryan, because remember he had already, he decided he wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to help her at the end. He, he was like, you go on to the third act. I'm going to sit here at this cafe. And then when he sees that she's basically given him an out with the, with the picture, proving that she's still alive, oh, yeah. then, then, he selflessly, yeah. the... <laughs> then he selflessly decides to go oh, and help her, oh, even though there's uh, you know, nothing but... in, for, in it for him anymore. So that's, I mean, I'm not saying that this is sophisticated storytelling. I'm just saying Julio's that... has <laughs> got me. He's locked me in my logic, and the film's perfect. <laughs> I, can't, I can't disprove that. You know, he, he fucking nailed it. This film's actually a feminist masterpiece. He's got me. I have to walk out of the room... And and let everyone else talk about it now because I can't disprove um, I can't disprove Julio's points. They're just so bulletproof. <laughs> also, yeah, I, I was going to say earlier uh, because Bartek kind of brought it up and, and that I think that this is what really makes the movie I want to say unique, but what gives it that special flavor is the fact that it's so. I, I appreciate that he manages to keep revolving around the idea of what these guys do for a living, as far as like flying and jumping out of planes and all that stuff, like. So many times I find that there there are these movies that have a pretty good like elevator pitch, but then after the first act is done, once they get into the actual story, whatever was making that story unique kind of falls away, and then you're just stuck with really a, a very generic thriller that could have happened to anyone, right? But I really like that this movie constantly goes back to the well as far as Charlie Sheen being somebody who parachutes out of planes. <laughs> it may not be the most uh, practical solution to like some of the things that he faces, but in the end, the movie finds a way to have him constantly go back to that and use that as his talent. And I was thinking, honestly, I was surprised that the third act had to do with parachuting so much because I thought that by then we were done with it, right? Um, we were... <laughs> Remember how we were introduced to him parachuting into like a child's birthday party, thinking it was a bachelorette party. Yep. Even even what a uh, opener. I forgot about that as well. Just at now. the end, like the final beat of action, that like, has to do with a parachute. <laughs> That's yes, it does. I really so wait, like what that was stuff. It? You know that they managed to weave all that through an hour and forty-five minutes of movie. Wait, so what was the? I'm just remembering this now. What was his deal at the beginning? Like he was infamous for constantly. Gate crashing things? Yeah, because he's advertising himself. Right, right. He's basically a, a stunt, like, pr- prankster who is just advertising him and his business. And that's why when I think the pilot of the plane or somebody references it, maybe James Gandolfini, somebody references... No, no, she references that he's had this many incidents in his past in the last year, and this will most likely destroy his career, the mm. her death. Right, and yeah. And he'll get this much time in jail. Um, yeah, I just... Uh, uh, one of the... Uh, <laughs> it would have been nice if they could play at the prankster angle a bit more. But otherwise, yeah, they were consistent with all like the high-in-the-sky stuff. To, to, to Julio's point of arcs, he slapped her on the butt when she was getting on the plane. Mm-hmm. And then she smacked him on the butt when he was getting on the plane. Karma's so, a bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> payback's a bitch. He should have just had a long monologue there about how that wasn't okay to do. <laughs> I, I just uh, to, to Alex referenced this at the beginning, and I have to come back to it. The plot becomes a classic. Oh no, it's the Russians, and they're secretly <laughs> building up a force to it's, destroy it's the, the sanctity of America. It's like it's the uh, KG used to be. The KG used to be, <laughs> which is a fantastic line of dialogue, and. You 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 realize oh it's gonna be one of these movies and he's some gold and they're gonna take over Russia and start a war again and what I think makes it unique 
is we're getting this from the point of view of Charlie Sheen's character, who's an absolute schmuck. And he does have a relationship with Russia previously and how he didn't get to go and he was boycotted. But I am in alignment with Alex's statement of it's fucking wild that the film ends with him getting (laughs) awarded like this big medal of honor from the Russian government and and military. And not only that, you have the, like, there's that observation that in American films you got to have the scene at the end where everyone claps or something like that and it's the Russians who are clapping for Charlie Sheen. <laughs> and Charlie Sheen does like Austin Powers gag with the saluting. <laughs> yes, and again, Okay, I take that back. His prank strangle did come back. Yes, it did. And, and that's something too where it's like I wish there was more of that type of humour in the movie where Charlie Sheen was a little bit more playful but with the bad guys constantly in the movie he's never given them quips really. He's just kind of like, oh... They're shooting me. Uh, I kind of wish he had a little bit more back and forth with James Gandolfini or uh, well, said, Shooter McGavin. He said that he's a flying penis. He said he was flying penis. That's true. So <laughs> I, he, yeah. I, I would like to say, I, I, in my mind, Ryan, it wasn't the Austin Powers gag. It was the stone cutters from The Simpsons. Where oh, Homer yes. would run into the room and they would have to bow every time he was there. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I see what you mean because like that moment at the end is really f- like if you're enjoying it, like I was, it's kind of funny. But you're exactly right; he doesn't really have any. He seems so terrified throughout the rest of the movie that it's kind of weird that he's in the face of America's biggest threat, and he's like, ha, 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 "Look at me! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a lovable guy." Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's it was wild though. I mean, I know we've jumped to the end, but like, I can't like because the plot is nothing. It exists for the action set pieces, but if we did focus on the plot, the messaging and the just the optics of Charlie Sheen, all American hero in this film's universe, and he's the handsome guy with the you know with the big chin and jawline, and he gets with the Russian babe. Like, like his Americanism has swayed even the Russian babe, but no, 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 actually, the Russian has swayed him, and he's gone over there, and he's going to, like, hang out with her family and hang out with Russian military, and we end the film on a loving shot of them walking through Russia with a dog. So disappointed about that. Old old tripod, it's so, dude... I was bummed that the movie didn't go to the credits after the freeze frame on a three-legged dog. Alex is taking it out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. You had a, a gnome named Gnome ending. It was perfect. And then they cut to them walking. A gnome named Gnome. Yeah, I just I was thinking, that where's the freeze frame ending here? But no. They, it was, they had, it they, was there, but then they had something after it. So now it's a thumbs down from Bartok. No, it, a gnome named Gnome. 10 out of 10, this film. Less than 10 out of 10. Less than 10 out of 10. Uh, uh, I mean, Alex, what do you think about... Uh, the the movie overall in terms of how it handles the big conspiracy thing but takes such a specific angle with it, with Charlie Sheen being this dope who just jumps out of airplanes and that the movie has to find new ways of making sure that they have that inserted in there. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's... Excuse me. Yeah, it's definitely of the time of thank god this guy has these skills otherwise he'd be you know <laughs> trying to shit up a rope and uh but you know obviously we're on different ends of the spectrum in terms of enjoyment of this uh it's so stupid that scene where they're parachuting in and 
uh, well, don't land there. There's motion sensors. You can only land in this really specific spot. He's like, with this wind, he has some line about like with this weather, but he still does it perfectly for what they yeah. need. And it's um, again, it, it, these walk such a fine line. And you know, if you really wanted to cut hairs, some people would probably say to me like, "Oh, well, you like this movie, but you don't like this movie." You know, I, I get that shit all the time about like slasher movies. They're all the same. Well, no, they're not. And a lot of that has to do with like if what you're watching has you engaged and you're exactly right on the surface. This is just asinine. I was actually watching it. We have a setup out by our pool and I watched it outside with my sister and my dad and my sister was loving it. My dad was, I think more on your side, Ryan. Just like, <laughs> oh, of course. Oh, of course. Like that type of thing. Uh, but I, I okay, you know, he, and yeah, Charlie, I guess my final point of this, he, it seemed as though that he was okay kind of looking like a, a goof here, whereas definitely like today and in later years, even, you know, he has kind of a Segalian story of his SNL of just like what he would and wouldn't do. And um, I, that might be part of it is he looks like a goof in a lot of this. And I think that's endearing just knowing that he seems to be kind of hard to work with, I guess. Uh, I took more enjoyment out of that than I would have if it had been, you know, john q actor yeah i i just couldn't help but keep looking at this movie and wondering who would do these roles better but then it's it's the script and we haven't said it but my biggest hurdle with the film really like from the beginning i i just said this needs to be changed for me to like it which is the music Oh my god, I hated the score to this, the needle drops, and not only just the the sound of it, but it was always too loud. Just cranked up way too loud. And we opened the movie with a fucking lame ass jump scare with the garbage bag hitting a windshield and is like, and I'm like, what is this? I hate this. And it's almost like the movie the movie would have worked so much better with music that felt like it belonged to this. The music did not feel like it was one in the same with the film we were watching. It it just always was blaring and it didn't even just have that oh it sounds like classic dated 90s music it just it's almost like they just grabbed a guy in there and said yeah so we're making a piece of shit could you put some music to it and he just said yeah sure here you go i just i couldn't get past the the music and overall i thought the direction of the movie wasn't the greatest either there was just lots of weird framings of shots scenes would linger a little too long you said this was like breakneck it went fast or whatever i I thought this was actually quite a slow movie for what it is i i I felt the time between the action set pieces and even when the action set pieces came i just said okay that happened i guess i didn't really get much there's this moment where uh the guy shot a bazooka uh, (laughs) the junkyard guy who by the way was in true blood so again wasted talent here and (laughs) It's it's just something where the guy shoots a bazooka and I'm like oh yeah awesome and then they immediately shoot him to death uh, but it, it means nothing like I didn't even laugh at that I was just like the but way he had a death like, wish Ryan that was the thing they, they established that he was oh well Julio you got me again 
Not just that. See, Bartek said I'm picking on Julio be because Julio does this thing. Julio does this thing. Like, well, Ryan can't defeat this argument. They what about Deathwish? And they established that that vehicle that they used to 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 escape after. No, I'm not complaining about that. I'm specifically complaining about the moment where it's like he shoots a bazooka and it does literally nothing. Like he blows up Ditch's car and Ditch doesn't even complain about that. He doesn't even. I don't even know if he noticed. He, no, he he had a reaction. He was in the middle of saying something. He, he turned to his guys like car. Oh, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, you defeated me. I just the overall like the way this was made. I just I was constantly wondering if we had a different composer, if we had a different director, and if we had different actors. But at the same time, it's all about the script, and I just preferred the more Hitchcockian elements and. I wanted it to be more overtly tongue in cheek than it was. There were some really great, great one-liner quips from Charlie at the beginning of the movie, and then they faded away. There was one about Stonehenge that I really liked. Yeah. Yes, that was a good one too. Yeah. That, that scene you were just talking about with the the bazooka and the car, and that's also the scene where James Gandolfini's true colors are shown. That is the bizarre sequence in the film for me because. It, it does feel like what you were saying, like the first half had that Hitchcockian kind of mystery element, and then the second half was kind of this, you know, more actiony film. And that half, that, that scene there where all the things happened and there was lots of escalations and character dynamic changes, it felt like the tone and idea behind a lot of characters like super shifted. Like up to that point, our Natasha Natasha Kinski character kind of is this out of reach character where she's got her, you know, partner that flies a plane. Yes. Um, she's constantly, like I said, out of reach from Charlie Sheen and, uh, you know, their motives are kind of unknown to each other and they have to kind of negotiate through things. And it's like the instant that, you know, her pilot guy dies and she's constantly with Charlie Sheen and the James Gandolfini character who, at least for me, like, you know, there was the potential of, like, a buddy thing going on, is shattered. The film just becomes this completely different thing where, yes, yeah, she does become a little bit more generic. She's not as mysterious anymore. They are playing... Well, they try to make you sympathetic to her now. Here's her backstory. Here's her family. She has a three-legged dog. She's mm. clearly telling the truth, but Charlie doesn't believe which, which, her. Which, again, is usually a trope that happens in these kind of like you know yeah. 60s era spy films where it's like a you know ooh, the, the sexy seductress character oh but she's got like a serious sympathetic backstory thing like mm. again Eva Metal Gear Solid 3 is one that I would bring up um, and then you have the scene where they're in Dude. the uh, okay. it's after they've escaped Bartek, I'm sorry not to cut you off, but that's hilarious. I wasn't even going to make that reference, but I said out loud to my sister when Natasha Kinski and Charlie Sheen are sitting in front of the fireplace. I'm like, hey, it's like the end of Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, they have the, the pants on cuddling. Well, maybe exactly, Kojima yeah. saw this film and got inspired. Mm. We know that he takes from movies. Yeah. Snake Plissken? You don't yeah. say. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't say. But uh, what I was going to say, that the uh, the campfire scene where the, you know, they're getting romantic with each other, I did kind of have you know Julio's reaction of like, okay, they're going for a romance thing. But the, the, the break in that was so jarring where it's like he reveals that he still has the MacGuffin of the oh, film. Oh, yeah. And she's like, fuck you, you piece of shit. How could you, you stupid American? Yeah, oh. and it's this really jarring shift where it's like, oh, okay, this this reveal is going to, like, you know, 
be a shift in their relationship. But then as soon as she, you know, turns on her little MacGuffin device and starts looking at it, Chai Sheen goes up to her. It's like that scene didn't even happen. It's, it is a series of scenes that exist in tandem to one another, but also isolation. Here's the romance scene. Now here's the you betrayed me scene. Now here's the, oh, this is the plot. Let's go there. And it's just one after the other, but there's no smooth transition into those. It's just, oh, we've moved on. Okay. I we need to say it. We need to get into it. James Gandolfini is in this movie, one of the greatest actors of all time. And I was waiting for him to arrive because we saw his name. It takes him a little <laughs> bit of time. And then he peeks his head in and I and I almost didn't recognize him because he is younger and thinner and he's wearing glasses and he's he's, he's It took me a, a second. And he's yeah. got a nerdy voice. Oh, I'm a nerd. Yeah, the dust. <laughs> the dust. But then I once I saw that hairline, I'm like, oh that's 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 James Gandolfini. And he was delightful. I, I adored him in the first part of the movie. I liked him as the fake, nerdy, oh, golly gee, yeah. I've got allergies. And then when he became the Russian gangster, I laughed too when he said comrade in the thick Russian accent. <laughs> I didn't giggle. But after that, he was nothing. Like, his character was... I don't even... Like, after the reveal, other than to have the dramatic reveal, he really... Added no intimidation factor. In fact, shoot, we keep calling him Shooter McGavin, but Shooter McGavin, <laughs> I found to be the far more compelling Russian villain out of the two. Just Gandolfini has the the factor of, hey, it's Tony Soprano, but like as are we talking about Goose from Greece too? Is he? Yes, yes, I guess he's yeah. Goose yeah, from yeah, Greece yeah. too. Fantastic, but, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic call out. But uh, uh, he he is Goose from Greece too is a far better like antagonist he has attitude he has feelings towards our main character he's, he's very menacing looking and aggressive yeah but i just he's found blonde. once yeah he's blonde but once gandolfini did the the flip it became a f- just a nothing he blended together with the other guy that they were with too. Uh, outside of joking like oh he's he, like he literally at the end is dressed like tony soprano <laughs> like the shirt the pants the cigar like he's tony but other like than right that amusement the, factor he's yeah. nothing he's zilch it's like this. right at the end when they you know have the final showdown it's like okay now he's firmly established as like you know the super main villain i know that they mentioned before that he's like the leader of this little mm-hmm. group but yeah, his presence was just underutilized in the film. You can but see what on, I mean. He, he that... arrives in a parachute at the end. How is that not awesome? Yeah, but I didn't like. I would have cared more if it was Goose from Greece too, because I I actually <laughs> felt he was more compelling as a, a villain character. I, again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is the waste of brilliant talent. I I loved James Gandolfini getting to chew up the scenery in the first half of the movie, having an actual rapport with Charlie Sheen. Mm. But once he went into villain mode, there wasn't, like, there's no rapport. A part of my enjoyment of these type of films is the rapport that the hero has with the villain. Mission Impossible 3, Philip Seymour Hoffman against Tom Cruise is fantastic. It's what you watch the movie for, really. Here, it's just, oh, he's guy that says, get him. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, and, like, his betrayal scene was, like, their second scene together. Yeah. It, it didn't hit as strong. It didn't feel like that much of a betrayal. It was just like, oh, you only met me once and you didn't know that I was actually bad. Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I love Gandolfini as an actor. I mean, Bartek, you've only seen Gandolfini in two things. This and our previous movie. And that's it. 
that's all you've seen James Gandolfini in. I think so, you, yeah. You looked it up. And so yeah. for you, somebody who has less of... He was a minor character in, like, Goodfellas, I think. No, he's not in Goodfellas. Not, you said no. this last time and I said no, and you didn't take it as an answer. <laughs> and then I looked it up and told you, and you said, oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. He's, he's in um, True Romance, mm-hmm. I do believe. Okay, well... I... Natural Born Killers? True, ma- True Romance. Okay, well, I pointed out Goose. Another so movie where good. he beats up a woman. Yeah, and he's great in it. But... Uh, for you, what what do you think about Gandolfini in this? This is a great difference of contrast. Like, you know of the Tony Soprano thing in the air, but, like, you really only know him for one other movie where he played a lovable sweetheart, so... He was a big sweetheart there. Yeah, again, I've already said it. I really, really wish that that, you know, persona that he was putting on in the first half, we had more to come out of that because there were all these like little things, little quirks about him that were brought up. And I was like, oh, this is like the olive branch that is being given to Charlie Sheen in this like lowest moment of his up to that point where it it has this movie potential of like, oh, how, how are these two very different characters going to work through all of this? And to just shoot that down in their second meeting and then have him be a non-character until you know, basically our female leaders kidnapped was a big disappointment for me. They didn't do something that could have been fun. This is about putting that extra effort in that could have made him a little bit more lively. You could have had the reveal that the real version of him does in fact have the allergies because Mm. he's Russian and he's not used to this deserty environment. So that could have been a neat little thing and maybe something that hampered him during villain moments or fights where he's trying to be like fucking kill him and then he's like having to wipe his eyes because they're you know they're teary (laughs) or you have the other in like the other direction where you see him packing up his suitcase and he's talking or he's going through like how he figured out this little character trait like he's inherently a little actor man but no instead it's just you're not supposed to think about it we've moved on it was obviously false but i i as as someone who needs those little touches in movies that would have been great Alex brought up Uncharted before and in in Uncharted 2 there's this character early on who's like you know Nathan Drake's buddy who they're going on a heist with and there's a betrayal there and you actually felt it because you know they were so in sync with each other they had a rapport you've had scenes establishing them and then you know the betrayal really stings and then later on in the film when they have to like begrudgingly work together again there's oh, in Uncharted yeah Uncharted 2 there's a different sort of dynamic there it's like more that kind of thing I was hoping for with James Gandolfini yeah or just a good villain <laughs> I mean, Alex, what do you think about Gandolfini in this? I mean, it's a delight to see him as an actor, but what do you think about his character and the and the how they util- utilize the performer? Uh, I honestly had forgotten he was still in the equation at the end, so when he parachuted down and tackled them, I like yelled like, <laughs> "Yeah!" Like I got really excited about that. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> every <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, everything what y'all just said is accurate. He's Tony Soprano. Uh, he's an unbelievable actor. Um, he's definitely, you know, would blossom into something much greater after this. Uh, I underutilized, you could say, but at the same time, I also got um, just kind of really reveled in the the novelty of it, him being there and showing up. And so <laughs> the idea that he's a DA, just how it physically imposing <laughs> he is as a human being, and the idea he's there, like, oh, we're here to investigate this case. It's like, fuck off. But it's uh, <laughs> it's so fun because he's in with it. Yeah, and you can you can say, yeah, he's underutilized, but when he's that, it's exactly like you said, when he's in that nerdy character, he's really going for it. 
Um, but to your point more, yeah, when he becomes the bad guy, he's just kind of the bad guy. And then they have that part where he punches her in the face just to, I guess, reaffirm that he's the bad guy. Um, mm. But, you know, he still had some hair going, so I thought that was funny. And also, he just gets like... <laughs> Thank you, Alex. He still had hair. Yeah. <laughs> he ba- I mean, he, he uh, still had a receding hairline even when he was young. It has like the crusty thing going at some points, depending on like the wind <laughs> in the scene. But... Uh, I, I loved the ending, though, when he tackles him and he stabs the girl, and then he gets, you know, the the one thing Charlie remembers is a crab. And just the way Gandolfini, no! And he's you know, flying <laughs> through the air and gets swallowed I by the I laughed a lot at turbine. how the, the, the blades, the propellers for the, uh, what do you call them? Um, Are they electric windmill things? Electric windmill what? things. When yeah. when they were going when Gandalfini was getting sucked into them, for some reason they're extra fast in those shots. <laughs> I noticed that. I'm like, they don't go that fast. Fast enough to slice a man into many pieces. And then when you see him in the other shots, it's like, if he really hit that, he would have just bounced off of it yeah. and then fell on the ground. Like I could see that that's where the film was going. I'm like, I don't think those are I don't think those will slice you up. But then when I saw it was going in fast motion, like, oh, this one will. Just for that <laughs> shot though. And this specific exactly. one. Exactly. We weren't we like we were blessed to get that shot of the turbine <laughs> spinning and the first three blades are clean and the last one's covered in blood. I and, I, cla- I applauded at yeah, my screen and it slowed down for that one. <laughs> it, it was slow again. <laughs> yeah. it, it felt that Gandalfini was going to come near it and it got scared and that, so it sped up. <laughs> that wind, that particular wind, was like fuck that guy in particular. <laughs> now, Julio, are you going to be a defender of how they utilize the late great Jan- James Gandolfini? No, I mean not so much. As in, I agree that the the most memorable villain is uh, Shooter McGavin because he gets a lot more to do. He, but I also I recognize the the archetype. I mean, uh, Shooter McGavin is supposed to be the heavy. He's the one that you know you see as scary, and Gandolfini is supposed to be kind of like the mastermind. And yeah, I was scared I honestly... when he had the pink rubber gloves on. I was real scared when we first introduced <laughs> him, and he had little pink rubber gloves. Also, so scary. He had a business card. He had a business card. I was hoping that yeah. would come back. Actually, the well, it, it came back, Bartik, because they used that's what uh, Charlie she used to call him to the <laughs> to the meetup. When, when he mm-hmm. turned, See, this this script plants everything, but the, in the first half of the film, the, the scene yeah. where he beats up uh, Natasha Kinski, I, I was looking like that. That gave me the two romance vibes, and I was like, "What are the odds that an actor would get like that same type of scene twice?" And I know it's it's a lot more brutal, and it lasts a lot longer and a lot more impactful than true romance, but still, that is. Uh, I still haven't seen The Sopranos. I don't know how often. Uh, oh, he does uh, it a bunch. <laughs> Tony Soprano gets down and dirty with the violence. But I thought it was, you know, that one moment sold him to me as somebody that was really fucking scary. Especially because then he has that uh, kind of like, not a heart to heart, but when he talks to her and he's like, you you know, I trained you. <laughs> You're supposed to be the best of us. I'll still let you live if you tell me who else knows about it. I mean, that's... I don't. I don't know that. Sure, McGavin could have sold me on that speech. He probably. I mean, he's a good actor. He probably could have found a way. But from from Gandolfini, I buy it. You know, he is. I can buy that he's the boss, and you know, he, he does as much as needs to. Is he going to go down on one of the, the you know those lists of top twenty villains in a nineties thriller? Probably not. <laughs> but but I think he did the job. And and much like Alex, I did not. I I thought that that was it for the movie. I thought that we're just closing in on the. The final credits, and then suddenly he just dropped on Charlie Sheen. <laughs> just the idea that this guy found a parachute and had the the talent to target Charlie Sheen. <laughs> That's uh, I I 
it made me laugh. I I was vibing with this movie. <laughs> it, no matter how dumb it got, it still it never lost me. Yeah, I'm glad I would never had me it, to lose it, me. So it really <laughs> it really quenched that deep thirst of 29 years. Yes, which I did, yeah, yeah. I, I'd already forgotten about. It was I'm I'm very happy that that we ended up going with this one. Uh, I will point out because otherwise I'm gonna forget. Uh, did you guys recognize the his boss, uh, Charlie Sheen's boss at the parachute place? Uh, the lady. Uh huh. Joan. No, I didn't look up Joan. Uh, what's she uh, well, in? she's uncredited in the in the movie, and it, it, oh. I mean, I wouldn't even recognize her name if I'd seen it. But I was like, I know this actress from somewhere. She uh, <laughs> she's uh, from another big '90s movie, and that is Independence Day. She's uh, Jeff Goldblum's wife. Yeah, what a character! I was trying to remember. Yeah, I was trying to remember where I knew her from. Good. Well, quality. the most important role is uh, Natasha Kinski's right hand man, Rance Howard. Uh, what was that? No, not Rand Howard, who is great in this movie as the dopey pilot that Charlie Sheen uh, wrangles in. I'm a big Rance Howard fan. Rance Howard update from me. I'm going to just remind everyone my favorite gag in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, is Rance Howard talking about, you don't think I know, we don't know what that song's about? It's a song about holding hands. You know who has a hand? <laughs> the devil. You know what he uses it for? <laughs> Holden. Holden. Um, <laughs> great line delivery. The the best Howard out of the Howard family, um, outside of the dock. But um, I wanted to just reference the fact that um, this movie has some interesting character actors and and p- behind the scenes people. So uh, Lex, the the character of Lex, was played by um, Gary Bullock, who was always a cop character or sheriff he was in uh, twin peaks fire walk with me he was the sheriff cable who was like the shitty evil sheriff of uh, the other town that's yeah. opposite of twin peaks the bizarro truman and he was in bubble boy as an evil sheriff in bubble boy he was in robocop he was in species he was just one of those character actors that was in everything uh racing stripes he was in he was in holes and Holes, the music for Holes, was done by the composer for this movie, Joel McNeely, Joel McKeely, uh, who has done a bunch of music that we have listened to on our podcasting experience, Bartek. You're going to be so delighted. And some movies... Well, you already mentioned Soldier, right? We, we have some movies, too, that we are just deeply familiar with. So he did the music for Air Force One, which is a big movie. Uh, he did the music for The Avengers. No, not the Marvel film. The one that we did. The one with <laughs> Rafe Fiennes and Uma Thurman. Uh, the one that helped Sean Connery retire from acting. <laughs> he did Soldier, as mentioned. He did uh, the Lindsay Lohan film that Alex is a big fan of, I Know Who Killed Me. He did the music for that, which, Alex, you're a lover of that, right? You guys are doing Lohan stuff on your Patreon. You, you guys are going to do a solo episode just on that film, right? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> it might be a I, I didn't hear a resounding yes. Uh, a big resounding yes, but uh, he also does the music nowadays for, or recently, for Seth MacFarlane's project. So he does a lot of Seth's stuff. He does The Orville. He did uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. He does American Dad. He just kind of fell into doing that. But he has a really wild catalog of good music and bad music and just average. Like He worked for uh, uh, James Cameron at one point. He did the music for Dark Angel, he, which is a James Cameron joint. It's 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 really just uh, I, we don't often talk about the composers, but because the music stood out to me so much, I had to look up who to blame, and then I was really surprised by how 
much stuff he's done that is both good and bad. And so it might just be a case of this production really didn't offer much for him to come up with musically, but really, really bizarre stuff when it came to the music. I felt like it wanted to hurt me a lot. It was it was aimed <laughs> to make me angry. It's no music to the film Heathers, which has a really annoying soundtrack. But um, just, just bad take after bad take, right? But I'm right. The the score in Heathers is really annoying. Alex agreed with me about that when you guys did the episode. <laughs> I even played it. But the guy with the bazooka, I mentioned it. He was he was in There Will Be Blood. So that's just something to just say. Like this, the Terminal Velocity has a, a whole cavalcade of wonderful actors who just are here to do schlock. It's a prolific cast. Prolific cast. Now, is there anything within the film? Or about it you want to discuss before we uh, turn it over to Alex, who has the Roger Ebert review for the film. Yeah, I've been holding on for that. Do you have anything else you want to highlight, Bartek? Um, let's have a look-see. I think we've got it all. Did you have a favourite action set piece? Because that's what this is all in service of. Um, I, I did enjoy the, um, after they parachute into the facility, you know, him running around there, climbing up and parachuting out that, that was, that was fine. It had a great payoff of he's too dumb to hide his tracks. He left the thing <laughs> open. He left this open. His parachutes here. So you have the villains be like, someone's in here. Mm. I lost it at, uh, uh, Shooter McGavin looking through binoculars. His name is Goose. Sorry. Goose from Greece 2. Thank you. Looking through, not Goose from Mad Max 1, but he's looking at Charlie Sheen in night vision binoculars from a distance and all he sees is the back of Charlie Sheen. Not even the back of his head because he has his head down and he just says in ADR, it's him. It's 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 Ditch. And I'm like, how did you even know his name? Yeah. That... The last time you saw him. But I guess James Gandolfini told him his name, you see? Right. That's the thing, because he's his boss. But I, I, I lost it at, he saw the back of a blurry figure in the dark. He didn't even see their head, so he can't even see the hair. And he, he recognized just goes, him from the papers. It, it's Ditch. Yeah, uh, that threw me off as well. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. Um, but did, I, I think my favorite action set piece was uh, when they jumped out of the plane at the end with the car. I mean, it's what it lives and breathes oh, yeah. on. It's A lot of the posters reference it. It's it's exciting. It's a it's a novel premise for an action set piece in a lot of ways. I like. You know. I, I really like the part about how he got on top of the biplane. It was like, oh, oh really yeah. clever. Yeah, even leading into getting on to the plane or in that situation yeah. it, it, it was mixed, really well done. It mixed his current profession and also his like gymnastics background. And it had that yep. humor I was wanting more. Like Rance Howard's this kooky character, and he's like, "Are you crazy?" And then Charlie Sheen just accepting, "You know what? Yes, I am." And I, I I liked that a lot. Uh, Julio, are there any other aspects of the film you want to go over or action set pieces you want to discuss? I mean, I'll I'll join the chorus of people praising the the final action sequence, like that that whole sequence of the car. I, I thought it was it was just a lot of fun. That <laughs> she's trapped in the trunk, and then he has to find a way to open the trunk. And I love that she she pops out of the trunk, and she is not a whole uh, like. She reacts to the fact that they're free falling, but not in a way that I would have, which just shows I guess she's seen some shit as a as a KGB spy. Cause she's just kinda like her eyes open a little bit, but she doesn't go, what the hell is happening? She just gets with it pretty quickly. So I, I enjoyed that. Uh I would the only other thing I wanted to call out was that I 
I just love the, the the digital line when they get, you know, when she's like, "Do you know what terminal velocity is?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, yeah, it's the title of this relevant. movie." <laughs> that that was great. Here's the name drop of the movie, and you clap and go, "Yay!" He said, "I am Superman for the quest for peace." <laughs> Yay! I I you 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 said the 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 name drop of the movie, and that was actually outside of the literal name drop of the movie. I thought that was a good scene because it gave us a feel for what her character was actually like a bit more. Because you know that there's something sinister or something up with her when she first comes in she wants to wear this specific jumpsuit and she's being awfully giddy and you know it's false but that there when she got to lay her cards out on the table a bit more showed off the acting range of 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 this performer to a minor degree and uh you, we actually talked about it a bit earlier but looking at her career i'm actually surprised how how short her filmography is she doesn't have too much to her credits after this like she has stuff but not not a lot and she didn't really make that transition to america really she she does some other things but would it be fair to say in terms of like leading role this is her big one in terms of american media uh the only other one would be that other movie that we consider doing um uh, one night stand where it's just basically her and wesley snipes leading that movie okay yeah but uh alex any final thoughts on the film you want to go over or any other big uh schlocky action moments you just want to highlight no i think we covered them all pretty well i think uh we're in agreement about a lot of things slight disagreement about others did you not enjoy the Wild Wild West style sequence where they were on the rocket car and then they had to pull the lever or push the lever <laughs> and then they shoot out of it? Did you not love that I guess bit? That's going back to Spaceballs we were talking about earlier. That ludicrous you know, speed. The cheeks, the cheeks rippling and we can't stop. It's too dangerous. <laughs> I like that we never saw them land. No, I like that. I like that they also. The car afterwards conveniently pulled up right next to those chairs and just went, and, and then they kicked it. Like, fuck, damn it, shit, they escaped. It's like, oh, uh, sure. <laughs> you don't want to check? Yeah. The ruins I guess of this? this? <laughs> I guess this would have to be qualified as her biggest American movie because this made almost $50 million budget, made 47 whereas the, um, excuse me, One Night Stand, $23 million budget, box office of less than $3 million. So I think this one would... And when was that in... Like, when was that film released? 97. Mm. Okay, so later on. So I was going to be like... And, and Wesley was a name by that point. So, mm-hmm. interesting. Um, because Wesley Snipes is an actor I don't know too much about outside of... Uh, I love him in Demolition Man. And uh, and he's and in real... And uh, in his real-life nut job. But... Uh, <laughs> War Story. <laughs> Oh yes, and 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 the HBO miniseries uh, Vietnam War story, of course. But uh, okay, Alex, you you told us that you you wanted to read the Ebert review. You asked us politely, your friend saying, Roger. Hey, is it is it too much if I bring in the Ebert review because I think it's going to be relevant? And and both uh, both Bask and I lit up saying, Oh no no, bring it in because 
Eve, it's been a bit of a punching bag on this podcast for several years. Bartek does impressions of him from time to time. <laughs> I, remember, I, I remember I read his reviews whenever we had our friend Reese on the podcast for some reason. <laughs> and he did not like nothing but trouble, and that's when your impressions of him of <laughs> 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 um, You doing impressions of him telling kids to do naughty things in front of the screen so he doesn't have to see the film. Because he, at the time he was like, this may be so bad that I turned over to the kids and told them, like, yeah, keep, keep it making up. Noise. <laughs> keep making noise. I like, think you made a joke about how he was like a skateboarder dude or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roger Ebert did a kickflip on a skateboard <laughs> and rode out of there. Yeah. We used to call him our antagonist. Used to. Still mine. So, Alex, what did the antagonist of Spit and Polish Presents have to say about terminal velocity? This is a contemporaneous review. So, this was in 94, so dated September 23rd. Uh, the data release, two-star review from Raj. You've got to hand it to Terminal Velocity. This movie may be dumb as a box of shredded wheat, but it has the damnedest action sequence I've seen since Arnold Schwarzenegger blasted the bad guy with the missile in True Lies. Natasha Kinski is locked in the trunk of a red Cadillac, which is taken aboard a cargo plane. Charlie Sheen pursues in another plane, walks on its wing, hauls himself aboard the cargo plane, and then finds himself, Kinski, and the Cadillac all falling through the air, with a villain on the hood shooting at him. <laughs> this is an assignment. <laughs> this is an assignment for Houdini. Uh, Sheen's behavior in this and other scenes is so close to the self-parody of his work in the Hot Shots movies that he almost seems to be telling us something, such as that he takes the movie with less than a perfect seriousness. No wonder it's based on such a goofy premise that with just a nudge here and a pun there, it could easily have become Hot Shots Part Sync and take advantage, taken advantage of the franchise. It's not so much that Sheen can keep a straight face in any situation as that he always seems to be testing himself with the situations he gets himself into. In Terminal Velocity, he plays a skydiving instructor so reckless he had 12 safety violations in the last month. He's the kind of guy who paints Kiss This on his derriere and paraglides into downtown Phoenix. One day, a beautiful blonde... Kinski turns up to a skydiving school and wants an instant lesson that sets off a long chain of events involving mistaken identities, stolen gold, three-legged dogs, and the KGB, or as Sheen calls it, the KG used to be. By the end of the movie, needless to say, nothing, nothing less than survival of the free world is at stake. <laughs> I dare not reveal too much of the plot, although it's so absurd that even Kinski giggles when explaining its finger points. That was good. <laughs> the purpose yeah. of this. <laughs> the purpose of this movie is essentially to provide a platform for stunts and special effects so weird that we watched gog-eyed wondering how in God's name they're going to get out of each of these predicaments. Kinski is apparently doomed in so many different situations in the movie that it becomes a running gag. There are times when um, Duran Serafian, the director, Darren, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name, seems so enthralled by the movie formulas that he uses them even in the face of common sense. Sheen, for example, is always getting jumped from behind. Fine, except how do you explain a late scene where he is jumped from behind by a guy who has no reason to do so and starts talking to him moments later? <laughs> it's like they were using a computer script writing program and inserted jump from behind before every dialogue <laughs> sequence. <laughs> Sheen uh. seems aware of the movie's comedic possibilities and must surely have a smile on his face when designed, uh, when he designed his character's haircut, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> which seems inspired by the pompadour of the hero of a little seen, but long remembered movie named Johnny Swade. Kinski has the hair of Kinski has a hair motif too. 
It's always in her eyes, but she brings a bright, <laughs> bemused air to her character and has fun juggling various accents. Is there a reason to see this movie? I am reminded of categories in the Michelian travel guides. Terminal velocity does not deserve a journey or even a detour, but it is indeed a sight. And I thought that was pretty much on the nose for how I felt about it. It's it's well articulated. I want to just ref uh, like bring up something that he said in there that I always wrestle with with critics when it comes to any movies but action movies, which is he went into quite vivid detail about the last big set piece of the film. And I was recently watching a review for the latest Mission Impossible movie, which I haven't seen yet. And and like the big thrust of it too was oh to sell the person to see this like he, he described the action set piece at the end of that movie and it was labeled with no it's not a spoiler because it's a poster or it's in the trailers and I'm sitting there going I haven't even seen the trailer or poster now I know that there's this big thing and I wonder like do you guys have any opinions on on that when it comes to like when you read a review or watch a review or something where. They like they need to tell you like you need to go see this, especially if it's an action movie, and they basically sell you on like the final one of the film. Because I always am iffy on that. I just go, oh, I I kind of would have liked to have seen that. It's it's the culmination of all of the things. But I also understand a part of the role of a critic is to entice people to see a uh, to see a flick as well. What do you think, Bartek? It is a fine line. I, I do think that. There definitely has to be a level of fair game that you can talk about, and if it is in the trailer or the poster, I think you can reference that, um, and then the onus would then be on the people doing the marketing to, hey, mm. maybe don't put in the big ones. It's like when The Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out, and most of the trailer was literally the final minute of that film. And everyone's like, oh, it's going to be this exciting fight between Spidey and the Rhino. And then it's like, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's literally how the movie ends with like, oh, it's going to be an exciting fight. Cut to black. (laughs) But uh, Julia, what do you think about that? Because with your podcast in particular, you guys go over reviews themselves. Your, Your whole thing is about looking at Rotten Tomatoes and seeing if there's any merit to it and what people say on there. And in part, that is also with how they describe a film, how people pitch it and sell it to you and and in turn that involves them giving away key moments of it how how do you feel about it overall i feel like uh because i'm pretty sensitive about spoilers i think as as the years have gone by i've become even less even more protective of just experiencing things for the first time when i'm watching the movie as opposed to through the marketing or or people's comments or whatever so i'm uh it's funny you bring up the mission impossible movie because i i was able to go to an early screening uh, a couple of days ago and man i'd seen the trailer maybe a couple of times and enough to where i felt like i was going to the movie without knowing anything and before they played the movie they didn't play trailers but they played a behind the scenes making of that went into <laughs> a lot of detail through about one of the chases and i was like are you kidding i had me? that with like, ba- <laughs> i had that with baby driver when i saw baby driver it was like hello i'm edgar Wright, and here's how he did this really elaborate scene you're going to watch i'm like fucking tell me after dickhead exactly <laughs> i was like i couldn't believe it. it it's just so you don't even have to convince me to come to the movie like i'm already here why are you doing this so uh, so 
I, I, I'm pretty sensitive about spoilers. Uh, I think that I am more tolerant uh, of this type of stuff actually with critics because I think that if that's like a voluntary thing, right? Like you go and you decide that you're going to read a review. And I think that in doing so, you're probably acknowledging that there's a good chance that they're going to either intentionally or unintentionally spoil something from the movie for you. So I personally, I don't read reviews until I'm, after I watch the movie. Uh, but I think that maybe if you like reading reviews, then you don't mind getting spoiled or getting lightly spoiled. You know, uh, I have more. My big opinion about reviews, on the other hand, is just uh, and that has to do with how we when we pick the quotes on the show and all that stuff is. I, I like what Ebert did here, which is that he he got himself on the level of the movie and he knew like how to criticize it. Sometimes you run into into critics that are like they would review Terminal Velocity as if it was, you know, an Orson Welles movie or something. <laughs> it was like in that case, yeah, of course you're gonna find plenty of things to like just slag off on. But in this case, it's just okay, you criticize it as a kind of movie it is. It's it's a silly, you know, nineties uh thriller and and even then you know within that you can find dissent because i think that the four of us know exactly what movie we're talking about and we found that we have different opinions about it uh, but some with some uh, film criticism i think that they they don't do that they just find like it's an easy way to just talk down to a movie if they don't take it as what it's supposed to be but rather as what they would like it to be and so I don't think that Ebert's doing that here, and and you know he gave it two stars. That's like a middling score, but he's still yeah, and he's, and he, but his whole thing is see it because of the last action set piece, which I will describe in vivid detail to you right now. <laughs> Even then, you know, because he he didn't tell us that Gandolfini was gonna <laughs> crash the party at the very end, so that was cool. No, but he didn't tell me about the shooting the gun and screaming the hero's name, which is <laughs> that's true. If I I didn't know that before going in, and I thought it was delightful when I saw it. <laughs> But it's a fine line because you're. You know, it's always interesting too with reviews and how you find movies. Because honestly, I find movies by doing uh, degrees of separation, which is oh, I like this person. So what other projects have they been in? Or oh, this person's worked with this person. So uh, you know, degrees of separation of like oh, I found Lemonade Joe. So now I'm going to check out this director's work. Or oh, this actor was in Lemonade Joe and they've worked with this person. So I'm going to check that out and. On and on it goes. All reviews. Like I, I watch and read reviews, and sometimes I've found movies that I would never have found otherwise because of that. Especially foreign films. It's like, oh, if I didn't watch a review about Bad Genius, then I wouldn't have recommended it for you guys to watch or for us to do on our podcast. It would have just been forgotten, and it wouldn't have even come across my radar. So sometimes it's you know uh, give and take with it as well. And yeah, I mean. It's a it's a whole ordeal, and uh, you know, Alex, you were the one who read the Ebert review, and there is a delight to seeing a, a critic like Ebert, who you know, in most people's eyes, is very um, uh, prestigious and refined, just go gaga over some of the schlockiest shit ever, and in part to give that enthusiasm to the reader or to the people watching the review, you just have to bust open that can of what is the exciting thing. And oftentimes in these action movies, the exciting thing is literally the last action set piece because you got to save the bang for the end. At the end of the day, though, you'll never please everyone because there are some people who are like aggressively against like even the most minor of spoilers. Like we have a friend named Oliver who do not say a single thing. 
Yeah, literally one time I said, oh, this actor is in it. Like, one of the leads is like, shut up, shut up. I'm like, I don't think that's a spoiler. <laughs> Saying Michael Fassbender is in a movie isn't a spoiler. But whatever, unless it is. You know, like, oh, surprise twist, Patrick Stewart shows up, blah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, surprise twist, uh, you know, you know uh, Sam wh- Jackson shows up at the end. While I was... <laughs> I was thinking to myself about the film a little bit while you guys were chatting, and I kept thinking about there's a film that we did on the podcast like six years ago called Night and Day. Yes, with Tom Cruise with Tom and Cameron Cruise Diaz. And Cameron Diaz. And I remember in that film, like they had this also kind of thing where, um, uh, you know, Cameron Diaz is the main character, Tom Cruise is the love interest, and he's like mysterious secret agent guy who you don't know too much about his past. And the film throughout, like, has fun with that idea of like, oh, mystery. It's like he'll make her pass out and then wake up in like a completely different location. Yeah. I feel like maybe if you can kind of carry that kind of energy to the Natasha character. Yeah, but you swap it though, where Charlie's the dumbass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because we were saying like in the first half of the film, there was that mystery. And then once that kind of went away, it was kind of generic. Look, look, I'm just, I, I don't mean this as a joke, but Austin Powers, the first one, understood this very well. Austin Powers thinks he's a smart guy, but he's actually a bit of a doofus, and Elizabeth Hurley is the one that has to carry his ass throughout the whole entire film, and she slowly falls in love with his goofy ways, but also he becomes more mature and introspective. You're only saying that because you like Bedazzled. I love Bedazzled. Look, would this film have worked better if Elizabeth Hurley was the lead actress? Sure. Sure, nah, why not? I don't know about that. In the first, you're, What, you're saying that Elizabeth Hurley couldn't play a sexy Russian? Get out. In the first Austin Powers, <laughs> there's a line, it's like, the Cold War is over. And this one, it was, oh, there could be another Cold War. There could be another Cold War. So It's like freshly over at this point, yeah. So it sounds like everyone's recommending the movie but me. <laughs> I don't. I don't recommend Terminal Velocity. I'm... There's better action schlock films out there from this era and afterwards. I'm in the middle kind of recommending it. Like I said, I think it's possible. There's a film that I love that I'm blanking on the name of that that this has echoes of, like, wouldn't be surprised if this movie watched it, but it's a Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie where he's just a schmuck delivery guy who rides a bicycle mm-hmm. around town. That's a David Cope movie. And Michael Shannon is the evil villain who's chasing after him. What's it called again? Ah. Uh. It, it, I was going to say it's delivery. No, it's not delivery. But no, it's, like it, 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 it's a no. good movie, but it reminds me of this where it's like he meets a sexy lady and then he's given a thing and they're having to run around. Premium a, Rush. Yes. Yes. It's a good film, uh, but that one has a far more, it understands its its tone a little better. But I, I was thinking about that during this. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And Michael Shannon tries to play it off like he's a normal guy, but actually he's a crazy evil guy. And yeah. Uh, I don't recommend it, Bartek. You are so-so. So-so. Like I said, I did. I certainly didn't have a miserable time. I thought it was fine, but there was a lot of room for improvement. And uh, we needed director's cut where they just take away that ending with their walking. Ended on the dog's <laughs> freeze frame. <laughs> the casting call. We need a three-legged dog. And yeah, you can chuck Claudia Christian as well in it. Claudia Christian from Babylon 5. Because she was in a gnome gnome named Gnome. gnome. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not used to you naming Babylon 5 actors just offhand, but now <laughs> you are, and I'm so proud. You've grown up over the years, my little boy. Uh, Julio, you said this is a perfect script, that this is the Citizen Kane of the 90s, so I know you recommend it. Alex, do you it's, recommend... It's a yum-yum uh, for me. It's a yum-yum for Alex as well, right? Uh, Alex, would you give this film a yum-yum? Do you recommend yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, to the right audience, I'd recommend it. If it's someone, 
if I know someone's taste and this isn't in their wheelhouse, well, actually, I don't know because this didn't seem like the type of movie Julio would like. So you you, you never know. Uh, but yeah, I <laughs> I'd preface it in saying there are uh, thousands of movies to watch before you watch this, but this is uh, it's a it's a good way to spend a you know a rainy day Sunday afternoon. It's a film that reminds you that time is finite uh, in your existence and that every single second is one that's counting down to the end. Uh, so <laughs> That's deep as fuck, right? Thank you. I watched Terminal Velocity. It was a real thinking man's film. <laughs> so, Bartek, you are recommending the film for the podcast. Next time, it is up to you to tell us all right now what you are subjecting me to. Okay, well... Um, Alex and Julio, you are here for a historical moment in the Spit and Polish Presents timeline, where we have been doing this for like eight years now, almost mm. eight years, and we have never done a Polish film. No. <laughs> and uh, there have been reasons for that. I've I've tried to pick one once or twice, and there have been roadblocks, but uh, uh, I've managed to kick down the road, roadblock. Yeah. So we are finally going to do a Polish film next week. Yay! Yay! It is a 2001 film, and the DVD's right there next to Ryan. I gave it to him so uh, that yes. he could watch it. Yes, I got um, a DVD of it now. Polish title is w Postyny i w Puszczy, which means In Desert and Wilderness. It's a 2001 film. It's directed by uh, Gavin Hood, who has done some... Hey! Oh, shit. Yeah, that was something that surprised me growing up, that it was... Who? Uh, I know that he's X-Men done... Origins Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, that fuck! Okay. <laughs> yeah. I knew that the guy who did X-Men okay Origins Wolverine was Polish, so... I don't think he is Polish. I think he's oh. South African. Oh, but he directs Polish films? Well, he doesn't, but he directed this one. Okay. This film is... I don't... I got the... I got the cover in front of me. It has an elephant on it and some indigenous folks or African folks can't tell. It's all sepia toned on the cover. So it's mm. kind of, well, we'll see what this is about. Have you seen this before? Yes. I saw it as a child. Oh, I can't wait to see it as an adult. I've, so yeah, I've make tried sure everyone to find a copy of what's the English title again? Uh, In Desert and Wilderness. And uh, I didn't know this until I looked it up. Apparently there was a version of this film in the 70s. This is the 2001 version. Was it also Polish? Yes, I think mm. it is. Yeah, Polish. Interesting. Story. Maybe in the meantime, have a little bit of an investigation on that original one and its reputation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Polish author and Nobel Prize winning novelist, uh, Henryk Sienkiewicz. So we're going to be watching a Nobel Prize winning film next time on the podcast. <laughs> so everyone make sure to tune in for that. You can find the contrarians on the internet. You guys are, are places. You guys have your show all about the place. They even have a YouTube channel now. Oh, Thanks, guys. cool. Yeah. Alex is a bona fide vlogger. I can't wait for Alex to give us a YouTube apology video for some of the nasty things he said on I, the podcast. I can't wait for him to become a VTuber. <laughs> oh, Alex becomes a VTuber. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. And it's like a cartoon sexy wrestling girl or whatever. That's what he would use as a little avatar. Yeah, I can't wait. But uh, guys, tell us a bit more about where you guys can be found and what you guys have coming up. Uh, well, wherever you find Spit and Polish, that's where you're going to find us uh, as far as podcatching go. Just search for The Contrarians. Uh, our website is wearethecontrarians.com, so you can just go there and see our entire list of episodes uh, if you don't feel like looking at them through an app. Uh, 
And then, yeah, I mean, the, the YouTube channel is something that we've we've been doing for a little bit now. We we had some friends that help us edit; otherwise, we wouldn't be able to to keep up with it. But uh, yeah, that's uh, youtubecom slash Prime on Twitter. We're at Contrarian Prime and at Contrarian Alex. And our email address, if you just want to reach us a somewhat old-fashioned way, so we are the Contrarians at gmail.com. Alex, your what did email I is, uh, Your email is uh, the Instagram. Tours. Yes. Oh, yeah. Instaham. Uh, Instagram at Contrarian Prime and also Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Um, yeah, we're find us where you can. Follow us. They can we, be found uh, on the internet. I love that we're at the point where email is now old-fashioned. We've really come a long way. <laughs> I used to send them physical mail, but Julio would never reply. It's younger it than Julio's long. first it, it, Just replying all the way to Australia. That just like, might as well send a tweet. Uh, coming up next, uh, I don't know when this is dropping, Ryan, but I'm assuming it's going to be around the time that we do uh, an episode that is actually a request from you, because we're going to be talking about burning. That's our next recording. About and time. Be- oh, yeah, the one that we dropping did? Yep. Towards the middle of one. July. Oh, boy. Yeah. What a film that will be, and I can't wait yeah. to hear the discussion. Yeah. I, th- I think this episode's, like, as of recording, like, 16 days from now. Who knows? It will be in the future. When yeah. people, you hear this, <laughs> that's when it's out. So thank you so much for coming on, Contrarians. Alex, thank you so much for the suggestion. I I, I, I gambled by giving Alex the choice. I was like, what what's he gonna subject me to? Because I've been giving them suggestions of things that I thought have been good and some of them have really <laughs> riled up Alex and some of them have been adored. So I didn't know which which uh which thing we're going to get thrown back at us. And instead, Alex just went, ah, I picked a film I don't know much about, but it looks goofy. Here you go. And I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah. Julio was the one that had the big history with it. Yeah, Julio. Big in quotes. Julio's, <laughs> Julio actually married the film. It's crazy, but... Oh, congrats. I didn't congrats. know. They're going to have a kid. Minimal velocity. <laughs> so... <laughs> got, got him. I got him. What's but, the upside of Terminal? Um, <laughs> Cur- curable? Curable velocity. <laughs> <laughs> Stable velocity. Uh, so we can be found on Twitter and Facebook under Spit and Polish Presents. You can old-fashioned talk to us via email at spitandpolished at gmail.com. Would love some movie recommendations from you listening people. We need more recommendations, so you can contact us via the email or our social medias. We are in the single digits now of film recommendations, the first time in years, so sort that out recommend a film and if we can find it and if we can watch it we will talk about it uh and that is all we have for you uh remember to be kind to each other or charlie sheen will ogle you he'll ogle and ogle you and go and you don't want that not modern day charlie sheen especially this isn't ferris bueller sexy bad boy charlie sheen we're not we're way beyond that now i think the sleaziest line he had in this film was when he said he was going to kick stuffed animals off the bed that was that whole sequence for him and that guy were talking about how the night was going to go was was gross legitimately i'm like get out no more of this i don't want to spend time with ditch i want to ditch ditch 